eat sleep suplex retweet don't you dare be sour clap for your world famous 11 time champs and feel the power it's a new day yes it is ladies and gentlemen welcome to eat sleep suplex retweet it is a new feature show yes it is I am your host, David Hockney, and in case you couldn't tell by that glorious introduction, today's feature show is all about your boys, the New Day. So it is another career profile show. We'll be looking at each of the members of the New Day as individuals and as well as a group and how much their cultural impact has affected not just the WWE, but also uh, how they've been portrayed in the real world as well, because they've become arguably one of the greatest tag teams and stables that WWE has ever produced. And let's not waste any time. We'll uh, we'll get straight into it. So, but if you want to listen to more great content produced here on Eat Sleep Duplex Weekly, we've got ESSR Central every Thursday, hosted by Ross McLeod. And we've got new feature shows coming out every Tuesday here on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, whatever your preferred podcast podcasting platform is we also have a lot of great content on our youtube channel so make sure you check that out we've got the conspiracy theory we have quiz showdown the latest episode came out this sunday with sarah in the hosting chair oh my god we're back again with some 90s and 2000s uh pop culture essentially so check that out and see if scott mcleod can retain his championship i really hope he doesn't uh even after the 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 Iron Man match I'd rather forget, but that's uh, that's for another story. But we are forgetting one very important aspect of this uh, of this show, and it is time to see who is on our panel today. Guys, that, that's your cue to say who, 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 who. Yeah, up first we have the almost I'd like to say de facto leader of ESSR, and much like Xavier Woods, it doesn't matter. You know, where he goes, he always likes to parade around and toot his own horn. It is Stephen Wilson. Oh, Dave, I brought my trombone and everything for this one. Please uh, have actually got a trombone with you. No, uh, I call it, uh, if I did, I call it Karen, you know. Karen? Why not? Cam, you know, Sheila, you know. Uh, Linda. I'm trying to think a good female Scottish name and I thought I came to Karen. Have so you forgot? Know. Have you forgotten that you know about Francesca's Scottish cousin as Agnes? That's a lot easier to pretend you're playing the trombone than it is to play the bagpipes. I can't play. You can't, it's hard to pretend to play the bagpipes. The trombone's very easy. And also joining us, uh, this man is the very definition of big meaty men slapping meat. It is Andy Mitchell. <laughs> Well, I did not think you would think of me in that way, but I, uh, is that a compliment, David? Uh, it's great to be here. Big here? It's great to be here. Uh, and talk about a boys in New Day. I'm wearing my unicorn uh, headband. No, sorry, that's just my normal head because I'm a bit of a dickhead, you know. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You just described yourself as a dickhead. That's the show made. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> anyway, no, enough with the. Hi, good to have you here. Enough with the. The, the slagging let's move on to the on to the show let's start with um let's start with the origins of the three individual members of the new day so they comprise of kofi kingston xavier woods and Big E. now steven a lot of all the three of these guys had spent some time in fcw uh before moving on to wwe or nxt in Big E in biggie's case so how do you think like 
each of them stood up individually before coming together like as a as a trifecta. I thought they were all good individually. They all had their merits in terms of, you know, their style. I mean, Kofi was the epitome of solid mid-card champion. You know, he's Mr. Dependable in WWE for so many years before this. Uh, Xavier Woods, he's working TNA Impact Wrestling before he joined FCW NXT. He was pretty solid as well. He had a tag team run with uh, Jay Lethal uh, as well for the tag team championships down there. So he was dependable. Uh, uh, and Big E, you know, the NXT, I mean, uh, the five count, I remember rightly when he was down at NXT for the first time, uh, just a completely different presence to what he'd eventually become. He was just, uh, no frills, just beating people up, you know, it was literally big men slapping meat, though he was not slapping the meat to the same extent as he, was, he would be now, but <laughs> now they, all, they, all had the, they all had something about them that stood out. Ah, uh, yeah, they all stood out, you know, as uh, individuals in their own right. And Andy, I don't know how much you remember of like FCW NXT days, but did you ever imagine, you know, like obviously Stephen mentioned Kofi's accolades, you know, he was a very reliable singles competitor. Did you expect great things out of guys like Big E and Xavier Woods who were still sort of, you know, sort of finding their feet on the main roster around this time? I think with because uh, like, Big E's what the second NXT champion, uh, so it's a case of he was a big guy, he looked apart. Uh, Xavier Woods was charismatic, and they teamed him up with uh, the Funkasaurus uh, brothers Clay, and it was kind of like you knew these guys had something about them, but it was like again, it's that McMahon sort of way of uh, creative has nothing for you. We'll put you as the bodyguard because you're a big guy. We'll put you as the sidekick because, you know, Brothers Clay needs something to do because they don't want to dance all the time. You know, it's just like, yeah, you kind of feel, and, and again with Kobe Kingston, it's like he was been in the company for so long that you could feel that it didn't take that long for him to kind of not find anything to do with him. Xavier Woods took Brothers Clay's music, I remember that. Yeah, I right, right, going, right. I'm, I'm taking your music and I'm taking it from Kodactyl. Well, like, it wasn't Brothers Clay's music. From, yeah, Aye, it was, you, you beat me to it, Andy. Yeah, it was uh, Ernest DeCat Miller's music originally, but yeah. Oh, that's a magic the moment from the a magic moment from the 2004 Royal Rumble. <laughs> yeah, the less said about that, the better, and we all know exactly why. So, um, but yeah, it's it's pretty clear, you know, that Kofi, you know, was sort of the sort of leading singles guy, you know, with Biggie and Woods being the sort of young upstarts, you know, each in their own right, and they each had their own individual styles as well. You know, Kofi being a bit of a high flyer, Biggie a powerhouse, and Woods almost sort of like a, a bit of an architect around the ring, you know, he's very sort of quick on his feet and can really think things through when he's sort of backed into a corner. But let's talk about the, the origins of the stable uh, as well. So it was sort of born out of a promo in July 2014, you know, both Kofi, Biggie and Woods were on a bit of a decline uh, singles wise, you know, uh, Kofi and Biggie had just lost a tag team match at that point and then Woods comes out with this promo uh, and he starts to sort of plant the seeds for a new stable uh, where he says, quote, you cannot move ahead by shaking hands, kissing babies, singing and dancing like a puppet. You cannot move ahead by always doing what you're told. It's our time to find purpose because we do not ask any longer. Now we take. Now, this, Stephen, was Woods' original idea who pitched it to WWE writer Michael Notarile. And he was trying to come up with something very sort of snarky, intelligent, uh, you know, almost like a running his mouth heel character for himself. Like, do you think from this initial promo that this was the direction they were going to be going? Uh, yeah, it was very. You can understand that it was 
Uh, Woods is ideal. He's a very clued up guy, not just uh, when it comes to his in-ring thing. He's just a general smart guy. I can't mind he's got a degree in something. I can't mind what his degree's in off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, it made, it, it made sense. I mean, at the time, Kofi had been a bit, bit what, tag champion every five months, pretty much at this particular point. They just kept feeling like chucking on with somebody. And Big E, when he he got given the IC title in the late 2013 and uh, you thought that this guy was the limit for him, but they just kind of floundered him a wee bit. I remember the Raw after Mania that year and they chucked him in a six-man on the other side of the Wyatts mm-hmm. and he gets booed something off. I don't know if that's partly down the fact how over the Wyatts were at that particular point, but the mm-hmm. fact that he's literally getting booed every time he does anything, it wasn't great for him. So this was just something to kind of invigorate them a wee bit and I thought it was it had elements of like a modern day type nation of domination type thing only with you know it was a completely different way of taking it you know the uh, the nation was very much uh, kind of black supremacy type thing if I'm trying mm-hmm. to if that's the best way of putting that it's hard to kind of characterise it myself uh, this was just kind of like we're tired of being beaten down and being kicked out if we're going to do something about it uh, mm-hmm. it's a shame that when they actually launched the stable properly, they didn't get that right away. Yeah, uh, and Andy, you know, the other half of putting this stable together was, I think Woods was sort of wanting this heel character mainly for himself, but because he realised that's when uh, his friend Big E was in a similar situation, that's when the idea started to form together that they would form a team. But there was element of, you know, there was a little bit of doubt about you know, letting Kofi join, given that, you know, up until this point, he practically was a babyface for his entire WWE run. Uh, So the changing him to a heel was seen as a bit of a bit of a gamble in some way. But do you think Kofi was a much more natural face than a heel? And can you see why there'd be some doubts as to why he might not have been added? Yeah, I can understand because obviously uh, Kofi, his character's quite, is like the sort of term babyface, you know, He's a good-looking guy. He's a high flyer. Uh, he just has that stylistics of just that long-time babyface. But again, if he's been in the company and it's kind of going a bit stale for him, because obviously he was on top a few years ago where he was facing against Randy Orton and he was in the main fencing, and now it's just like, oh, you need a tag team partner. Let's put you with this person and that person, and you know, and it's just, I think it's like for him, he was like probably, I just want to do something different now. And it's good for him, but again, it's that thing of creative. What the, what the creative want, the creative see it working out. And again, it wasn't really doing anything else. So it was like it was probably for as we all know, hindsight twenty twenty, that it was the best decision to just team up with Xavier and Big E. Aye, yeah. So it was a bit of a the idea was took a while to sort of come into place and. Woods actually went on to describe in an interview that the trio's original characters were meant to be described as three guys who came up from from essentially the same background and just wanted more out of life from their jobs, from their friends, basically just wanted more from life in general. And they tried to take that mentality and get across it on TV as best they could. Now, a lot of people backstage sort of saw that as, you know, a bit of a, a negative or it could be portrayed as a negative trait. So they were told by creative that to be something more positive and uplifting. So during the sort of initial run from mid-2014, uh, on main event and stuff, uh, Stephen. The there was an idea about of a potential problem solvers gimmick, uh, which was sort of like a, meant to be a sort of a parody of the APA, where people would go to them and help solve their problems in a comical way. But 
Can you imagine like what the the gimmick would have been like had they gone with some of these original ideas about you know taking what they want you know being the sort of problem solver type gimmick as opposed to what they were eventually settled with i mean i could see them doing a version of the apa because the apa was a bit of like they just took the piss half the time i mean i know it's uh, i know that you know xavier woods is no like bradshaw presence around the locker room uh, but you could just see the them in like some sort of i mean if you kind of incorporate the current gimmick you could see them in some sort of like you know, fake kitchen making pancakes, something like that. You know, just flipping them about, and then somebody comes in, and they just sit like at the something like that. I mean, it doesn't need to be like what the APA did, but they could they could have fun with it. And I think it could, that could have worked. Obviously, they would have tried to be exactly. They would have made, just tried to make them APA two point oh, and yeah. they just would they just wouldn't have worked on that beer gimmick. But I don't I think anything at that initial time. I mean, they got. You were talking about the gospel gimmick. The gospel gimmick, everything would be better than the gospel aspect of it because that just, that just, just stereotypes something awful. Mm. It's like we have three talented black guys who want to be in a stable together. Let's make them a gospel. Like, mm. What? No. I just probably just sat and watched Sister Act on DVD and thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually glad you brought the gospel gimmick and we'll get to that in just a bit because um, obviously that was marred in a lot of controversy in its initial run. But Andy, the this sort of initial run for the New Day, you know, they were basically a very sort of generic heel at this point. You know, they got a few victories on main event, but then they went almost unused for nearly four months before bringing back uh, or for returning rather in late 2014 with the now infamous gospel gimmick. But during that time... Um, Woods and the rest of the New Day actually recognised this time off TV as, you know, a time to really sort of really try and pin down their characters and try and come up with a gimmick idea. Do you think, even though they weren't featured on TV, this time was actually proved to be very valuable in terms of wanting to get their, their gimmick across? Yeah, I think so, because it's just obviously how WWE is. It's like they're working 52 weeks a year. And it's kind of like, they probably might have been burnt out and stuff and the fact that they've got this time to actually sit down and think about, okay, what do we do? How do we do it? It's probably like great for them because at least they're getting a little bit of time off. But again, it's like what you were saying about what they've been like with that. They could have just done this stable as like an ultra serious thing without realising like what they actually wanted. And then it might have not worked because Biggie was like serious and Kofi was kind of just Kofi. So it's kind of like they wouldn't, have, they might have not been the new day that we know because they didn't actually have that time to sit about and and think about what might work and what might not work, or rather than just getting thrown into it and then just kind of try to think on their feet. Yeah, and unfortunately that brings us now to the the infamous gospel gimmick. Now, I do appreciate there's going to be some talks about racial stereotyping and whatnot so i'm gonna tread lightly uh, on this one and i think but i think it's important you know that we you know try and be as uh you know open with the conversation as well but we just want to sort of share our thoughts on it too so um yeah in an interview in august 2015 the new day actually described the the gospel gimmick as the complete opposite of what they wanted to do like Stephen, their message initially was to sort of put out a message specifically for young sort of black kids that you can be whatever kind of character you wanted to be. Like you arrive with a blank slate and you can just be anything you want rather than, you know, something that would be considered as like a stereotype um, in many people's eyes. But um, as you said, it was Vince that sort of came up the idea for the, the preacher gimmick. Now, we're not implying in any way that, you know, uh, 
we're not alleging that Vince is a racist because it's um, well, even though it does sound like it, it. Do you think there was a bit of racial stereotyping behind it? I mean, he's a seventy-odd-year-old man in America. You can make your judgments for yourself. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make judgments on it. You know, but uh, yeah, you could argue in a way though that to, they, they did eventually get to where they wanted to get it. It had to. It took this awful gimmick to get them because it, if you think about it, maybe if they get given the gimmick they got initially. They might, have, they might have not got over the same way. It got over in the way because people hated the gospel gimmick, started booing them, and then these guys thought, we're going to play into the booing and just kind of run with it. And that's how the UD kind of took on the legs that it did. So in a way, I think that getting this gimmick was a blessing in disguise in a way because it's hard to imagine what might have happened if they got the original idea to start with. I mean, that's mm. not, not to say that it's, it's terrible. It's just it was very much like... The vignettes were the vignettes were well shot. That's one thing you can say that they're very well recorded. But it's just like it was just like we'll stick one of them in the choir one week. We'll stick one of them in the choir the next week. We'll stick one in the choir the next week. It's just like it's just not tailoring. I mean, especially Kofi at the time because it just made no sense having Kofi doing that gimmick, you know, mm-hmm. because he'd you know built the gimmick up the way he had the previous. If you're going to change them, then just don't. You know, put him in such a stereotype role. So Aye. you say that, and he spent the first eighteen months of his WWE run pretending he was Jamaican when he was actually from Ghana. He probably would Triple still. He'd probably H still be Jamaican. He'd probably Triple still be Jamaican H- if he didn't muck that get muck that promo. Aye, Triple H called him out for dropping his accent. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, Andy, the um, they they go on to say in the interview that they didn't want to sing and dance, uh, particularly for America for like African American athletes. Uh, they always said like when it came to that sort of character, you were either the big strong guy, the foreigner, like a lot of very sort of you know set in stone archetypes that you know may have got over in the eighties and the nineties, but this was the the mid twenty tens. You know times were changing, and the um, do you think? that gimmick would have worked maybe you know saying like maybe the attitude era or maybe even earlier as opposed to sort of the 2010s no i don't think that would have worked at all is again it just goes to show that uh, mcmahon is out of his mind and out of touch if you're going to sue sue somebody but i don't think he's listening to <laughs> eat sleep so fits tweet but i just i don't think it would have, it's just it's that sort of thing of oh i've got those three black guys let's make them all singing and dancing let's put them in a gospel it's just it's it's very it's insulting to these guys who want to do something different but again it's that same thing of like what else do you do it's either you, you take what you get or you just you piss off and go somewhere else it's the same way that anytime they sign it seems to be a lot of the time when they sign an Eastern European, he becomes Russian. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anytime they, they sign a British guy, he has to come out with the Union Jack, other than yep. Drew. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, why uh, we don't all walk about carrying Union Jacks. You know, it's just not as... It's, it's like, not about Drew, it's that Scottish thing of he's got a kilt or something, it's Scottish Association. And he's got a massive sword as well, yeah. Yeah, we don't all carry swords. I mean, Aye, if he not... came, came out with a, like a smashed bottle of Buckfast, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, we would give him the benefit of the doubt there. But a sword, no. uh, bottle of Buckfast, he comes out wearing a trackie as well. That would be pretty accurate. Was well, that? I found some. Uh, I don't know if you have this on your notes, David, but I found some uh, other alternative names that were suggested for the new day. Yep, that's uh, right. One of them was the fre- a fresh coat of paint. 
Oh, can you imagine that? Like, it's your boys, the fresh coat of paint. Uh, uh, Hope, which stood for House of Positive Energy. Yep. And uh, the last one I found was, it was called KBX, initial from each of their, their names. That actually sounds like a Scottish nightclub, KBX. Uh, KBX? Uh, KBX. Uh, Alright, oh, we got to KBX tonight. Uh, that's it. Uh, actually, uh, oh, Andy actually missed one. I actually found one I did miss one, yeah. The, the other one was the house, house of Light. That was it. I just so ran out you, of space. What, what, so what would you rather have, a House of Light or House of Positive Energy? <laughs> That's a light, man. House of Light? Stevie, what especially, do you reckon? Especially in this day and age, when I mean, all these... Suck. They both suck. I, I, I went with KBX, you know. Just have, uh, just have them go out of the crowd and get somebody to do a shout-out. I want a shout-out for my cousin, my dog, my hamster, and the two guys that live five doors down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, but, yeah... You guys hit the nail on the head as well. Like, uh, you remember their their entrance theme as well. The very much the the gospel song, like the which they, which they still use to this day, by the way, albeit with a little bit of a, a tweak. Like titled "New Day, New Way," um, but Big East described it as very out, old old fashioned, out of out of date, like it was recorded from the forties and stuff. But um, it was actually the three of them that pitched to the officials uh, something much more modern. Uh, in terms of gospel music, but the resulting theme is the one they still use today. Like, do you have any comments on their theme music, uh, that, that which they still use, Stevie? I, I I forgot that they had a slight variation to it. You know, I, I it, it, it stuck. You know, I think the the thing that stuck with it is more the the big E bit at the start of it, which will come. Mm. That always that always helped it, but it's catchy. It's one, you can move to it, you know, and I think that's they play into it with the way they kind of gyrate and everything, which is which always helps, I think, and it does go with the chant, you know. It's, it's perfect. It, it's it suited everything that they incorporated into. It. I think they made it work. I think that's why they're so good, you know, as creative characters because they know how to make things work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty well described. And Andy, the Stephen mentioned the the introduction like we did at the start of this show. It was. Um, Biggie sort of improvising his own introduction before the their music's played. Do you think that's a good way to sort of make their entrance stand out and he can sort of shake it up, you know, depending on what town they're in or whether they're stating how many tag team title reigns they've got? Is that like a, a bit of a unique twist to make them stand out? Yeah, because it's that sort of old way of like this, what the New Age Outlaws used to do. And, you know, it's kind of the new days. I couldn't tell you, like, whose music is what, but the new day, you instantly know it's like the, 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 the smashing of the glass when, like, uh, Stone Cold comes out. It's kind of that's their kind of era where they've probably got the most popular music. Because, like, again, Seth Rollins has got new music now. I, I don't even know what his music, his intro oh. music is anymore. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, again, and it's like if the new day stays the same, it's like at least you know who they are and and you know there's nothing wrong with changing your music i think because you know if it if, if it pops the crowd it pops the crowd mm-hmm. oh, like, Rollins is a Rollins you music's a banger i'm glad you mentioned that I love uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, as, as you said you know the clapping goes along with it really well and i i recall you know a couple of live events you know the chat the, the crowd are always clapping along like even before the the lights go off and the show begins so it, it goes to show like how you know catchy and enthusiastic the the song turned out to be despite you know the the original objections to it first but i do have some uh, reactions uh, and comments from fans and critics alike with regards to the gospel gimmick so prowrestling.net 
wrote that the New Day seemed to be all about smiling and dancing, one of the three racial stereotypes WWE assigned to their African-American performers, which, you know, as we discussed. The AV Club referred to the gimmick as racist. Vice stated months after rejecting the stereotypical roles bestowed on black wrestlers during Woods' original July 2014 promo, Woods, Kingston and Big E found themselves saddled with a new one. Uh, Kofi did previously portray the, the Jamaican gimmick, of course, you know, as, as we per discussed. Uh, with Woods also having, remember the, the funk dancing gimmick? I think Andy mentioned that when he was with the, the Funkadactyls. So not a lot of, uh, not a lot of positive things to say about the, from fans and critics, despite the gimmick, you know, being all about power of positivity, etc. But the fans did come across as enthusiastic to the clapping in the first months, probably just how catchy it was. But then it was the Raw after WrestleMania 15, oh, sorry, WrestleMania 2015, I should say. The, the, that's when the New Day Sucks chance sort of started dripping in. So it was, um, and this is where we start to see the pursuit of their first tag team championships, Stephen. They um, they failed to win the the Fatal 4-Way at WrestleMania 31. And then we would go on to have a, a, sing, a sort of one-on-one -on -one feud with Cesaro and Kidd over the tag titles, which they would eventually yeah. win Extreme Rules. How much... Uh, do you remember of this feud and like the match quality in particular you would expect it to be good with two pros like Cesaro and Kid? yeah I remember it very well I was quite excited for it at the time I thought this was this is absolutely great because as you mentioned the the boots you know as the raw after mania crowd can do they can they slaughter whoever deserves to get slaughtered two years in a row unfortunately it was Big E <laughs> part of something uh, but and yeah they kind of thought you know, these guys don't like us, you know, let's, you know, let's go with it, let's run with it. Because they wanted to be heroes in the first place, that's the thing about it. So, mm -hmm. the fact that they, they realise this isn't working, we're going to go with it. And then, at the same time, Cesaro and Kid were getting really popular as well. Because they were just two guys who could wrestle rings around anybody. You know, Cesaro, a year before, was arguably the most popular wrestler in WWE outside of, like, the main event stars. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of made sense to switch the two of them and the match itself at Extreme Rules. Aaron, this is a card that had... I'm actually, no, it's not a brilliant card, actually, if I look back on it. Uh, it had uh, a rush, the, the Russian Jane match isn't great. Uh, Rollins in the cage with Orton's not. Yeah, it's, it's a standout match on the card, but it stands like a sore thumb. Uh, Nikki mm -hmm. Bella and Naomi, that's bad. That was bad as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, so this, this tag match did it like a sore thumb in this match. It's by far the best match on the card. It's a fantastic, you know... They're just guys that they know how to do tag team wrestling. You know, uh -huh. as much as we say we want Cesaro to get pushed, he, he, he's a fantastic tag team wrestler. That's, that's oh yeah, Kofi Kingston is a fantastic tag team wrestler. Mm -hmm. You know, Tyson Kate just gets pro wrestling. So you put these guys. Big E is just he's a talented guy. So you put all the four of them together, and it works well. You know, and Woods at the start, he was the hype man more than anything at the start. You know, as he's, he's grew out of that role as the years mm -hmm. went on but at the time it was just it's the best they were the best guys to put them up against to get them to turn the full heels for Cesaro and Kid yeah and Andy that's when they started to sort of drift away from the gospel gimmick and they sort of moved on to the the more critically acclaimed power of positivity mm -hmm. gimmick so that's when they sort of first transitioned into you know obvious bad guys and almost like a satirical version of their previous gimmick, you know, way too overly joyous and seemingly unaware that mm. they were getting relentlessly booed. Uh, 
and they also started using heel tactics, you know, like with a roll up with the the tights held against like Cesaro and Kid, you know, who sort of transitioned naturally into face characters by this point. But do you think the the oblivious heel, you know, the one that tries to be very positive but yet incurs a negative reaction from the fans, is that uh, an under underappreciated gimmick in these in these days? I think so because it's that sort of thing when you compare it to like John Cena. It's like what people don't like about John Cena is he's positive, he's this, and it's annoying. No one likes people like that. Whereas again, they actually leaned into that, and then what did they do? They became more annoying. They introduced a trombone. They came up with all these catchy stuff. It was just so in your face that it was like they knew it was winding up the fans until the fans started cheering for it, and it is that sort of thing where. People were asking for years for Cena to do it. It never happened. Whereas McMahon probably didn't think this gimmick was going to go anywhere. So I was like, yeah, whatever, do what you want. And and it works because, again, what's more annoying than some, you're booing someone and they're just getting off on it, you know? <laughs> so, so it's quite underrated. And it works well because it's that preachy gimmick. So it's kind of maybe a blessing in disguise, no pun intended, uh, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, the original Francesca, you know, with the the trombone and stuff, because, mm-hmm. you know, despite all these matches and feuds they had in the sort of mid of the summer of 2015, like there was the, the two out of three falls rematch against Cesaro and Kid at Payback. There was the Elimination Chamber match, which all three of them took part in, the first ever tag team chamber mm-hmm. match. How did all three of them get in that match again? I can't remember it, exactly what, what, why they, they were allowed in as a three. I think they um I think they just appeased to Stephanie and the authority and they said okay it, uh, or it might have been like a stipulation like if uh, one of them won a singles match against another team then all three of them could take kiss, part kiss asses <laughs> but it would go down in the record books that Biggie and Xavier Woods will have uh join a very elite group of superstars who win their very first elimination chamber match now obviously Kofi took part in a couple as a singles guy but Big E and Woods could say they've won their first chamber mm. match. Uh, and then they had a bit of a sort of mini feud with the primetime players losing the titles at Money in the Bank before regaining them at SummerSlam. And that's when we would see the the longest reigning tag team title reign start to begin. Uh, but Stephen, I think this is where the New Day sort of finally found their footing. You know, kicking off this epic tag title reign, they were introducing more and more merch. They were moving, you know, you get the trombones, they've got the unicorn horns out, and that's when they sort of started to transition to the um, the unicorn theme. Like, do you think this was just a gradual evolution of their characters over time, and did it play out the way you would normally expect a gimmick to? Yeah, I think I remember at the time they got some criticism from the wrestling media for the fact that they were heels. But they didn't really act like heels. Like they just acted like three guys out having a laugh, taking the mic, you know. Mm-hmm. Which it, it can work as a heel gimmick, but a lot of people didn't. There was a, like one episode of Raw that they, I can't remember who it was, that they kind of battered somebody backstage and dragged them out onto the ramp. I can't remember exactly who it was at the time. But that was the one time they get close to having that kind of ruthless side to it. But the fact that they kind of kept the kicked with the origins, I think it was a natural way to go because. It was either going to go two ways. They were going to really annoy people to the extent that they started hating them after like three months. Or they would continue to get popular and it went the popularity route. And I think that's why they were smart to kind of utilise the merch because you had the bootios stuff, which 
you know, it's like a cereal. Kids, the kids love them. Kids came with the cereal. There was the unicorn stuff, merchandise selling, as Andy mentioned at the start of the show, that the headband with the unicorns, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, were, they, they went from the blue gospel gear to the colourful, all the colours, the, the light blue, the pink. T-shirts, you know. I think there was a point that other than like the likes of John Cena and that they were probably they were one of the top selling merch uh, sellers in WWE had. Mm-hmm. So I think the minute Vince sees you selling merch to that extent, you're in. And uh, they pretty much did things perfectly, you know. They were it's just every, it was a lot of kids. The kids loved them as well, which I think is always mm-hmm. a success. I think to longevity in WWE because they have so many of the guys in our generation. The marks as we're all called, but if you, get the, if you if you if the kids love you, that's where your merch sells, and that's what WWE want to try and tap into. Uh, and Andy, they had a ton of merch to mm. to move as well. Like one in particular, I think the biggest one of the biggest merch selling points that they had was obviously the as Steve mentioned the Butios cereal, and they started using it as their catchphrase. You know, sort of around 2015 time, and they started beginning to you know wind up other wrestlers in the host city wherever they were they were in. Like if they were in like uh, Birmingham, Alabama, for example, they would call it Bootyham, Alabama, and a lot of this came sort of was heavily tied in with their promo work, you know, where they would usually just either promote a lot of their merch or the, the booty was serial as it were. Like, do you think this, um, this gimmick was actually the most influential part about them getting merch off the shelves? The fact that they could talk the talk? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's what you just were both saying where it's like the coming out and it's like the stuff's just getting more colorful and colorful when, you know, if it looks good and it stands out, people want to, people want to get it. The bootios as well. That's just, uh, it's mad that now it's like, that's a, would you say that's the most they earn from? That's the most selling uh, like cereal from WWE. Bootios. I think that's the only cereal they've had apart from maybe oh. the fru- fruity pebbles, but, um, no, the Butios itself, I think uh, I think that was a big selling point. You know, they wanted to see, oh, this must be really exclusive and stuff to WWE and yeah. stuff. Well, it's just it's just ridiculous. And, and as we've seen now, it's like, what is it? They started uh, seven years ago, and then recently they've had a Netflix thing with The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's still like, they've somehow crossed over from wrestling to mainstream. Obviously, does a lot to do with Xavier Woods' Up, Up, Down, Down channel. And that's and it is quite interesting how just small just selling the merchandise and then it's like again McMahon's like well you're selling stuff then here's a bit more chance here's a bit more opportunity just be yourself say what you want and I remember when they do a promo against the Rock they do the 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 sort of common heel take the piss out of where they are but they kind of like wink wink at the camera as in like oh yeah this is kind of what we should say but you know and they just make it a, a funny reference. And he fought back with the whole uh, llama dick strapped to their foreheads and stuff. Yeah, the Rock comes across as a guy who still thinks that it's funny to call people gay as an insult. You reckon? That's kind of what it came across as when he when he's that's what he's basically saying. You've got you know you've got these uh, horns on your head. That's a bit you know come see come sa. Yeah, I still remember seeing a. I can't remember if it was a meme or it was meant to be like a joke meme, but uh, it was like a kid uh, with his mum's toy, shall we say, strapped to his head and he's like, look, mum, I'm the new day. Oh, no. Yeah, I think the less said about that, the the better. But um, let's uh, let's go back to their their tag title feud. Uh, And I think, Stephen, 
their careers took another step up when they went against the the Dudley boys in the fall of 2015. You know, that feud ran from Night of Champions to Hell in a Cell. But how good do you think it was for them career-wise to go up against such a legendary tag team in the Dudley boys? Oh, uh, yeah, it was perfect for them. You know, they, the Dudleys lost nothing in losing to the UD. It made the UD look even better to be able to beat an established team like the Dudleys because some of the teams that were going through, you know, no disrespect to the Los Matadores, no uh, Ascension, they'd been mucked up to hell by that point, so they were nothing. Uh, the primetime players, you know, it was okay, you know. The, the Usos were kind of on a downward trend as a tag, so having somebody of the, the calibre of the Dudleys was handed. I remember the pop the Dudleys got that night that came back. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I remember you that know? too. So, yeah, to work that feud was great stuff. And, you know, the, 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 the matches may not be memorable, but the fact that they get that on their CV, you know, was perfect to build them. Aye. But Andy, there was one match on their CV that I think is worth mentioning. Now, anybody that listens to this podcast knows that I'm a sucker for a good ladder match. And to close out the year, they had an epic triple threat ladder match against the Lucha Dragons and the Usos. And now there was, I think that arguably went down as one of the better matches of the entire year. But even when the odds are stacked against them, you know, they're facing two tag teams in a, a very unpredictable match, such as a ladder match. Um, is there anything about this this match that sort of made you think, okay, the, the New Day's the real deal here. Like these guys know how to operate as a tag team. The thing is, I think there's that thing of, like, if you can do well in a ladder match, your, your career's always going to get remembered. And because it's like you're you're adding an, a, this massive object that's just like, although you claim it to win, it's like it gets used as a weapon. Now, I can't actually remember much from the match and to rewatch it. But again, it's, it's that thing of what else? That's a great way to set up help you with, like, three great tag teams in a ladder match, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and you've also got, like, who who was uh, was all three of them in it, or who was it Xavier at the sideline in that match? I think uh, twenty fifteen. It was always Kofi and Big E that were the tag team. Yeah. Woods was still the hype man at that point. So again, when you've got the third man on the outside, you know it just uh, you know adds a little bit of something to it for him to get that one. Mm-hmm. Now we're coming to the end of twenty fifteen here, and this is when the power of positivity gimmick started to really get some steam. And in a vast turn of a like vast like contract contrasting messages from the gospel gimmick the the power of positivity received overwhelmingly positive reception from fans and critics both through a combination of strong in-ring performances and promos like as you said before the even though they were acting as heels the the crowd were now chatting new day rocks so it was again the case of you know heels not pretending to be heels but then the, the they start to start to win the crowd over and it takes a lot of like a really unique group of performers to be able to do that, you know, go from being positive heels to be hated to positive heels to be cheered. It's, it's I mean, it's, it's baffling when you say it out loud. Uh, Kenny Herzog of Rolling Stone named the New Day as Wrestlers of the Year for 2015, describing them as a hat trick of pro wrestling awesomeness, having transformed from preachy dreck to a source of constant entertainment. In early 2016, Aaron Oster of the Baltimore Sun described them as the most entertaining wrestling act of the past few years. Uh, Even CM Punk got involved and praised the New Day for getting over on their own and claimed that even though he doesn't watch, he no longer watches the WWE-based product. 
and ultimately I lost a lot of passion for wrestling overall. He would only watch for the New Day's segments. Uh, and lastly, from Rolling Stone, uh, they collective they named the New Day collectively as Wrestler of the Year, as well as yeah, standing alone as the elite among their peers, daring daring us not to tune in no matter what the win loss implications was. But um, Stephen, there was a little bit of um, criticism regarding the power of positivity gimmick in that. Um, some believed that it was detrimental to their efficiency as heel characters. So Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net and even good old JR uh, suggested that New Day should be trying to get heel heat as opposed to being comedic. Uh, what would you say is your response to that? People call Vince out of touch. JR's not one of the most in-touched people in pro wrestling these days. Oh my God. Some of, some of the things he says about his own product on AEW is unbelievable. Uh, I, yeah, you... I mean, you could see it in a way, but it's always been a thing. There always has been that aspect. There always has been comedic heels. I mean, JR was a commentator in 19, the late 90s, where like Mankind was kind of a, a bit of a comedic heel at points before he then turned face, you know? Mm-hmm. He's worked with... The, he was technically a heel when he did that skit with Vince McMahon in the hospital. Because he, was, he wasn't a face at that particular point. He, he only really fully became the face when... Uh, the Rock Survivor Series uh, the, the Deadly Games <laughs> is when he became the face uh, so yeah I can see you know if you're an old school fan of wrestling the heroes are here was the face to the faces it could work but in modern day you know if you're gonna say the Bucks are brilliant heels you need to say the, the, the UD are great heels as well that's kind of mm-hmm. the way I'd take it as well because the Bucks mm. come out and pink and I'm not. I'm not using this as a way to slag the box. It's just the, the first comparison that came in my head. Uh, they come out with the the, the colourful gear. They get, they do the things on Twitter. They do being the elite. They are trying to be funny heels. Mm-hmm. So it's the exact same thing. So if you're gonna like the box, you need to like what the UD does. If you don't like either, then fair enough. You know that's you can't really be judgmental. Continuing on from that, it's like it's that Jim Cornette thing of it's like, was it funny? Doesn't like give you money or something like that? But it's like, look at Kurt Angle. I think if you can back up in the ring, it doesn't matter who your character is. Is if you're entertaining, you're entertaining. It's just these people. It's like that uh, uh, Seymour Skinner quote where it's like, "Am I out of touch? No, it's the children that are wrong." It's like that's just all these old school wrestlers, uh, mm-hmm. commentators and stuff like that. Just just don't have a clue. Just out of touch. Ah, you're right. You know, as fans these days, you know, I think we've it's become sort of common practice now that people can cheer whoever they want to cheer, regardless of their faces or heels, as long as they're entertaining. You know, like, you see a lot of WWE characters, like, in anywhere from NXT to, you know, say, Kevin Owens on Monday Night Raw. You know, they, for a majority of their careers, they act as very devilish heels. But people love them for it because it fits their character so brilliantly. Um, Another example was um, uh, Johnny Gargano when he was leading the way. They were, yes. they were they were so comedic as heels, you know. So that's kind of a similar example of that one. That's a brilliant yeah. example, yeah. It's up to yourself. You've got it depends how you play it. If they're playing it that way, it's fine. A guy like MGF, he plays it to be a dick. He gets booed like a dick. So mm-hmm. that's that's if, if you play it, if that's what they were intending to do, then they get booed and fair enough. But they just play the character and the crowd react how they should, how they deem they get booed to start with by, for acting away. If the fans eventually cheer them for acting the same way, then mm-hmm. you then turn them face as they do. Yeah, it's all about that one. You don't You're just re- change the cat. You don't change the character. If you change the character, you risk nothing not working. Uh, you reap what you sow, essentially. But to finish this sort of segment on a positive note, they were awarded PWI's Tag Team of the Year 
for 2015 and 2016 consecutively. Uh, not just for uh, Tag Team of the Year, but they also got the Wrestling Observer Newsletter's best gimmick as well. So it just goes to show how popular they were, despite, you know, sort of being on the cusp of uh, face or heel. Like, in and Kenny of- Omega hadn't developed it as a gimmick. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that this would be just before Kenny Omega's time. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I'm Josh. <laughs> so uh, before we before we recorded uh, today, we did share a post on our uh, community page, which you can find on Facebook, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Community. Uh, so make sure you give that a follow to join in all the conversation, you know, about wrestling chat in general. But we have had some feedback about um, what our listeners think and from the team think about the new day as a whole, whether there's some favorite moments or matches. And I'm looking at the looking at the, the comments here and there definitely seems to be a common theme here. So Jack Graham says everything Kofi Mania from the Chamber showing to the two sets of gauntlet matches to the actual match at Mania. Brilliant storytelling. David Campbell says, quote unquote, we forfeit. Those two words just made me feel so many emotions. That's what happens when you have long-term feuds and acknowledge history. Usos and the New Day go together like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> uh, Ryan Douglas says, fave part of Kofi Mania was when Kofi is towering over heel Daniel Bryan on top of the pod in the Elimination Chamber. Anthony Fitzpatrick says the the rap battle with the Usos. <laughs> oh, we all want to remember that. But um, the, ri- the rivalry as a whole with the Usos, revealing the Hardys at Mania and the Brody Lee tribute gear. The emotions when Big e and, uh, Woods display when Kofi wins the WWE title. He could name more as they've been the standout group for the past five to six years. Scott McLeod says, anything they did with the Usos in 2017, from stealing the show on the SummerSlam kickoff to the Hell in a Cell match, it just showed that when given the time, WWE can produce excellent tag team wrestling. Callum Bennett says, uh, quite short and simple, Mania, it was perfect. So, uh, but we'll get to more on that as we sort of progress into the the second half of the show. And guys, I'm going to kick off with the start of 2016. You know, they're well into about five, four or five months into their lengthy tag title reign. But this is where I think uh, things start to go a little bit downhill, you know, after gaining so much popularity from mocking other teams and their multiple skits and promos promoting their merch. Um, Stephen, I want to talk to you about the League of Nations feud. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it has, to be, it has to be mentioned because I still look back on this and I think this was a massive misbooking opportunity to develop a really, really good faction warfare. So... They, on the build to Mania 32, which doesn't go down as one of the best WrestleManias ever, um, they did. The New Day actually had a couple of successful tag title defenses against various iterations of the League of Nations because there was four of them and only three of the New Day. Uh, and what I didn't mention, it, what we actually forgot to mention at this point was that even though the New Day was a, a three-person stable holding tag titles, they did operate under the Freebird rule. So any two of the three were eligible to defend the titles at any one time. Uh, but at WrestleMania 32, they end up having a non-title three-on-three match, uh, not for the titles. And Stephen, my question to you is, do you think this was a missed booking opportunity to, to potentially do, uh, make this a tag title match or maybe even a three-on-four match with the tag titles on the line and then the League of Nations could operate under the Freebird rule? Yeah, that was, you thought that's what they were going to do when they were coming into media. It, it made some sense. It was either that or they were maybe going to find a fourth person to come in and, you know, join them in an eight-man type match, you know. Uh, well, we would obviously learn shortly after that that Wade Barrett was on his way out of WWE, so he wasn't really doing 
much wrestling. He was just kind of waiting out his contract, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they went with the foot. They went with the three on three, and yeah, they could have done so much with. I mean, the whole League of Nations angle in general, they could have done so much with, but it's just a massive flop. You know, it's no way putting it. It's just it, it was absolutely terrible. Uh, so yeah, they end up just doing this match at WrestleMania, which, let's be brutally honest, serves one purpose, and it's to get the, the legend Paul Barter. That is the only reason that this match kind of goes ahead. Because, which is a shame, because after a year of dominating the division, you think that these guys deserve a marquee match on the marquee show of the year. But instead, they get given this absolute dross. Because let's, let's be, there's, there's so much other stuff they could have done with them. They had the, the Wyatts were doing absolutely nothing other than with The Rock. They could have explored that a bit earlier than they actually mm-hmm. did. Could you imagine, I mean, the stuff they did that summer was great, but could you imagine them doing that in a lead-up to WrestleMania? How good would that have been to have that one mm. as your WrestleMania match, a six-man match this day? That would have been so much better, that one. Usos were on the on the pre-show with the Dudleys, doing absolutely nothing. You know, there's, there's so much better serve what they could have done with them. You know, they could have chucked, mm. they could have chucked one of them into the, into the ladder match for the IC title very, very easily. And that would have been a lot more entertaining. But instead, they get the League of Booty. <laughs> the League of Booty. That's what it is. Great WrestleMania entrance, though, with the serial. Oh, yeah, and they were in so the, the Dragon Ball Z attire as well, the Super Saiyan armor. Yes, I actually fought the oh, guys. Yeah, yeah. And you got the guys here, I have a Kofi Kingston. Oh, Kofi Kingston Funko Pop. Yeah, but he's wearing the, I think he's wearing the 2015 white white and gold that they had at SummerSlam. Yeah, I can't remember. I wasn't sure if it was the same one or not, but yeah, for the... Oh, listen, get get yourself an Xavier and a Big E and you'll have a full set. They're not that easy to get new ones, Dave. <laughs> I mean, you can get a million and one street profits right now, but you can't really get... <laughs> uh, the New Day must be like selling like liquid gold by now. Was, uh, uh, I got that when he was WWE champion. Ah, okay, it was, right. It was very popular at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Andy, um, I don't know how you feel about faction warfare, uh, because, you know, we've seen a fair fair bit of it you know throughout the years in wwe some of it's good some not so good uh you know like on last week's feature show we talked about the 2001 survivor series with team wwe against the the alliance i'm not sure if that constitutes you know sort of the traditional faction warfare we're used to seeing but do you think the the new day even though they mostly competed as uh two out of three of them as a tag team do you think there was missed potential for them to potentially have faction warfare with another group yeah, like uh, one of the things I I always enjoyed about like the actual era was like the faction warfare. And again, if you've got a good faction and the story's right, then yeah, it makes a good it makes a good match. You know, it's kind because of, you you don't have to have all all of them face each other. They always do like single matches as well and pick it up. And and again, it's like as you said, they could have had a match with um, the Wyatt family for the tag team champions and this one like that. And the only thing they've really got going for the last few years is still with the Usos, but that's only two of them. Uh, so it'd have been quite good to have them be like that new Shield, as in it's like they were have they were having the best six man tag matches because they were all three talented rather than having just two in at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the League of Booty sort of angles sort of fell flat, and I think the league disbanded a few weeks after that. But twenty sixteen. It was a bit of a mixed year for the New Day, let's uh, let's be honest with that, because they did have some additional feuds uh, with the Vaude villains, Enzo and Cass, and the Good Brothers, and 
Money in the Bank 2016, I think, was the, the time where I think they were most in danger of losing the tie titles. That they, they had to defend against all three teams in a fatal four-way, but luckily they did come out on top and the, the lengthy reign continued. Now, by this point, they were 331 days into their second reign. And at this point, they had broken the previous record, which was held by Paul London and Brian Kendrick, who held the SmackDown tag team titles for that length of time. Uh, so they'd already set a, a pretty solid milestone by that point. But uh, Stephen, I'm going to have to delve back into another god-awful angle involving the Good Brothers. Uh, so this, uh, this feud unfortunately revolved around uh, getting some imposters to dress up as the old day and the Good Brothers doing a skit on Biggie's bollocks. Like, could they have sung any lower with... See, uh, distasteful gimmicks. See, at the time, you know, see, at the time, you could obviously, rightfully so, say this is WWE creative written all over it, but see if you watch anything the Good Brothers have done since they got released last year, they probably helped, they probably fed into this creative. They love a good blooming dick in a boy joke themselves, you know. Yeah. Uh, I used to love the Good Brothers, but now they kind of irritate me a wee bit. You know, great wrestlers, but yeah, but yeah, it's just, it does nobody any favours. This whole storyline. As I mentioned, I mentioned the Wyatt family thing. They came off of that hot feud with the Wyatt family going into Battleground. Mm. They could have obviously done something else again, but obviously the Good Brothers have been there for a few months. They had the stuff with AJ. You know, they kind of... It was only right that they were given an opportunity in the Tag Team Championships, but you just kind of feel, you know, WWE are holding out for this, you know, title change to break the record of demolition. And anybody who knows... You know, anything about the that demolition knows how much of a tainted relationship they have with the WWE right now and Vince McMahon. You know, they're, they're, in, they're not the reason they're not in the Hall of Fame is because, you know, they've, they've not had the best post WWE relationship with the company. So I think they were desperate for them to break the white. They were, they were going to break that record. And it was just a case of, right, they faced. You mentioned, David, they faced the three of them at Money in the Bank, the three teams. Usos, Bond Villains, Enzo and Cass. So uh, that does... No, it was Good Brothers they faced at Money in the Bank. Was it Good Brothers as well at Money in the Bank? Right? Yeah, yeah, it was Good Brothers, Enzo, Cass, Bond Villains. Uh, so not the Usos, then. fair enough. You know, so... That's two we'll, get, we'll get to the Usos. Yeah, there's two of the teams in them, so the, the Good Brothers are kind of there. So you think we need to kind of get them a feud, and the Good Brothers are one of the only ones we really got at this point. So that it's got that feeling of like placeholder right we need to try and do something with it so uh and then there's john stewart uh he has not he he has not got a great track record as a wrestling fan appearing in SummerSlam. (laughs) it's uh, as i mentioned the best way to put it is it's literally placeholder feud to break the break it if they've held off on the on the Good Brothers to maybe like Survivor Series or something like that, yeah, that would have worked, you know. But by the point that the Good Brothers eventually get the titles, this feud's wasted them, and the uh, WWE careers did the drain at this point. Uh, and Andy, I think Big E was actually written off with kayfabe injury, but they just sort of you know made a complete arse of it in the same way like you know Vince did with Jr. and Doctor Heidi, like that god awful gimmick or god awful segment. But um, what I want to know is is that. With Kofi and Woods sort of uh, essentially knocked one person down because of the Good Brothers, you know, no one is safe sort of moniker. Do you think this, again, could have been another potential for a, another great feud against an established tag team? Yeah, I think so. As you said, um, the Good Brothers are like great wrestlers. 
New Day's great wrestlers again wider doing keyfabe injuries uh, and what was it so what was the reason again that so the... I think yeah Big E got his uh, Big E took like a shot to the he got hit with a ring post between his legs and yeah he was written off with a injury because the good brothers are the ones that took him out I'm so essentially too much meat I, uh, at least it wasn't bleeding of the rectum what happened oh, to Gerald Orr don't say that it's um, an awful noise, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the, thing, the, the gimmick was is that Gallows and Anderson were meant to pick off the New Day one by one and make them an easier target. And they were going around, you know, with the, the T-shirts on the back saying no one is safe. See, like, see I, I, that would make sense, but you've got Luke Gallows, who's a big bastard, you know? It's like, mm. you know, like, well, it's like take him out one at a time. Like, you could take two at once. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it'd be different if it was like a smaller team if it was just um, uh, what's it's like it? American Alpha or something like that at the time yeah it's just ridiculous it's just like it's like these guys look like I mean you don't need to take one of them out it's like they're, they're pretty tough on their own you know it's just I don't know again I, this is like when I start to just lose interest in WWE and I just like don't care anymore because everything just starts to become really rubbish mm-hmm. Well, luckily they did hold on, and after beating four teams in one night via two triple threat matches, the New Day eventually did break Demolition's record, uh, 28-year record, uh, becoming the longest tag team champions in the company's history. So they beat the Good Brothers and The Bar in the first one, and then I think after spilling, like, uh, covering Stephanie and Steel or something, it was... um, she put him in another triple threat against Owens and Jericho in the Shield later on, and they still walked away as champions. But the their epic reign came into an end, unfortunately, at 483 days when they lost the titles to the Bar, which were already gaining their own certain level of popularity around that time at Roadblock End of the Line 2016. So a very, very impressive couple of years of the New Day, despite a mm. few a few downers. But move on now to sort of. A time where the New Day were pretty much sort of settled into their roles as one of the greatest tag teams that WWE's produced. They were they took more of a backseat role towards WrestleMania that year, where they they were the hosts that year. They came out with the the ice cream cart and the and their gimmick had sort of devolved into very much a cartoonish mythical theme, you know, with the yellow brick road, and they came out you know associating their costumes with video games and stuff like as you said andy the because woods is obviously a massive gamer and the up up down down sort of thing but we'll get we'll get to that uh, a little bit later on but 2017 was summed up by just one feud and that was their epic encounter with the usos going back and forth with the titles everywhere from money in the bank to battleground to the SummerSlam pre-show culminating at hell in a cell uh steven this arguably goes down as one of the best tag team feuds that WWE has produced. Like, apart from because we've talked about the Hell in the Cell match before, which of these other matches do you think really cemented this as a one of their most epic feuds? I think the SummerSlam pre-show is a really standout of the feuds because it's well remembered of the fact that a lot of people didn't like the fact that they were on the pre-show and they went out and they stole the full show for the main card. I'm just, Trying to remember exactly what was on the main card that particular year that really was. It good. was 20, 
Uh, it was 2016, so that would have been... That was 2017. Oh, 2017, uh, sorry, there yeah. There wasn't much in terms of top matches that particular year. The, the Fatal 4-Way main event, yeah. Rock defends against Strowman, Reigns, Yo and some of yeah. But you had... Uh, that was Mahal Nakamura that year. My God. Yeah, there was... Um, Cena Corbin. Yeah, Cena Corbin. Uh, big cast in the big show. With, uh, with the shark cage. Yeah, so there's, it's, it's not a lot of competition for the best particular match of that particular show. Honestly, the Shark Cage match should have been the pre-show. This match could have easily fitted nicely in the main card. Yeah, but they wanted big casts, you know, to be amazing at that point. So that was the best. But yeah, they stood out like a soap format. It was great. Uh, obviously, the rap battle helps build some great heat to the feud as well. <sighs> mm-hmm. Like your boy, Xavier Woods. Don't get rated <laughs> R. Yeah. yeah, and the less said about that, the better, but we all know what we're referring to when that line was dropped. That's my second favourite uh, Xavier Woods trio. Oh, oh. Andy's here. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to segue that way in for oh, I don't know how I was going to do it. All we're missing is Wally to sort of cease the tension. But that's another thing. Wally was the host of that rap battle as well. He went on to have a, and he continues to do have a positive relationship with WWE. Like he even did Big E's singles theme at WrestleMania this year, actually. So, yeah, I suppose there was some positives to come out of that promo. Oh, the promo is great. It's a great promo thing. It's just very much on the line. Depends on stuff, you know. It's it's pretty much the the end of what they could get away with, you know. And it's just like it's the reaction, you know. It's just very natural reactions. It's just like would the bell can't believe he's actually went there. It's just because it's mm. never been met, referred to on WWE, you know, television or and WWE have not acknowledged that this particular video exists. Yeah, you know, and for this, good reason. Yeah, because you know they're. I don't want to see Bad Maddox's bare bum. <laughs> you know that t- that Divas title has been really disrespected with 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 don't, stuff. Don't 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 don't. Right, enough of that. Enough of that. Uh, but yeah, Andy, I don't know if you I remember can expect their... it from Foul Venus, but not Paige. Sorry. <laughs> right, sorry, Andy. I don't. <laughs> And I don't know if you remember. And the, another the he- thing as well. No, oh, don't, don't, don't. I don't know if you remember the Hell in a Cell match, but we have discussed it on a previous show when we did our best Hell in a Cell matches. But do you think yes. this was a? Do you think this was a a bit of a, a bit of a shake up? You know, given New Day's traditional sort of power positivity dancing gimmick. You know, this is one where they really had to go to war and really bring out their brutal side. Like, do you think that was uh, that was really well done on the part of the New Day? So I think it's that thing again where it's like, as you say, uh, people will always put them as the the best rivals, like the Usos and the New Day, and you know, and it's that thing. It's like all great rivals have to have a hell in a cell, and it doesn't matter the gimmick. It just, you know, it's, it's just it's as JR says, it doesn't really come to this. You know, it's. I think again, it's that thing of when hell in a cell is used right. You know, mm-hmm. it, it tells an amazing story, and again, it's that it gives it gives the wrestlers like the new the new day something that they need to like try to differentiate. Can't say the word to differ themselves from their dancing gimmick and be like, right, we're in Hell in a Cell. Let's use this to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the year wasn't done because you know we actually did manage to get some faction warfare that was long overdue from the year prior. 
And in, who better a faction to up, up against than the Shield at that year's Survivor Series? Uh, Stephen, this, I think, was a long time coming. But again, it was sort of a little... It almost didn't happen as well because that's when WWE faced their viral meningitis outbreak, you know, and Roman Reigns was one of the guys affected by it. So we, this match almost didn't happen. But are you glad that, you know, we actually did get to see these two factions finally go at it? Yeah, it's... It's, it's it was a standout match on that particular card, and let's not forget this was a point where WWE were still they got the kind of twenty seventeen Survivor Series stuff right in mm -hmm. a way. You know, they were there was a lot of good stuff that did go on in that particular match, right? Lesnar and AJ Styles in particular, but that was a very late build to that match because I was meant to be gender for so for a while. So yes, it's this it, it, it's. It opened the show as well, you know, it is, it's, it's the case of sometimes you just need to go with your big guns and put them in early. The, 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 this year's Survivor Series with Becky and Charlotte's to just chuck them in there right away and, you know, tore the crowd apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this was 21 minutes. Great story told. It's not a, it's a match I've not watched back nearly as much as I probably should have. Uh, if I go to watch a Shield Six Man, I always watch the Wyatt one from Elimination Chamber. Of, uh, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just a shame that they had to, you know, they had to be followed by Tamina and Alicia Fox that particular night, you know. Yeah, it was a that was a bit of a, a bit of a letdown. But ask it, ask ask a uh, battered all of SmackDown, and especially Natalia though, which was a bonus. <laughs> yeah, she was sole survivor that year. She was. Uh, but yeah, 2018 was pretty quiet for the New Day. They were sort of mainly having back and forth feuds with the Bludgeon Brothers in the bar, and they racked up a few more tag team title reigns along the way, but. I want to talk about now when they start to break out as main event level single stars. And we're going to start off with Kofi Mania. Uh, and it's almost as if it was a, it's almost like a what if scenario because originally this wasn't meant to happen. Uh, and if Mustafa Ali didn't suffer his back injury, he wouldn't have got replaced by mm. Kofi in the Elimination Chamber. But Andy... It wasn't just Kofi being replaced in the chamber just to fill bodies. You know, he would actually go on to prove how much of a valuable commodity he is as a single star because he he produced an amazing one-hour gauntlet performance to determine the final yeah. entrant. And I'm pretty sure he eliminated Brian, Joe, and Randy Orton all in the space of that one match. Like, did this, in your eyes, do you think this just elevated Kofi as a singles guy? I think not only elevated Kofi, just again, the New Day and that sort of the power of positivity, which is, you know, a bit cheesy. But it is that thing of, again, we talked about it where he had that opportunity where he was transcending to become a big star before he was in New Day. And then was he got up instead of laying down for a Randy Orton punt kick and then that was it. He was basically down to the mid cards. And again, it's it's that sort of, like, what would have happened? Would we have had... Austin 316 if Triple H never got suspended and all that was that, that thing of it's just right place right time Kofi replaces Ali and then it's like he goes toe to toe with Brian and then it just does this great story already there and then it's just good that they pull the trigger on it and not actually just went oh good for you okay now do something with the new day and just get a bit stale and we'll split you up you know, it added something. It added a bit more, like, not only is it just one of them, but you still got the support of the, the other two. 
Aye, and Stephen, the, it wasn't just the only gauntlet match that Kofi had to go through because he had to go through multiple gauntlet and handicap scenarios on the road to WrestleMania and it was a, pretty much a bumpy ride for him to earn his WWE title match against uh, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan. Um, like, but y you couldn't help but think, you know, there was a, a little bit of realism sort of blurring the lines of kayfabe here because a lot of people seemed worried that they weren't just going to do it despite everything they put Kofi through. And even the New Day cut Matt promo backstage, even though when he lost the the gauntlet match and Mr. McMahon just sort of took took it away from him. Do you think there was still that element of almost holding that holding back of a African American wrestler, and that it, did it sort of like add that sense of realism to the feud? Yeah, you kept worrying points the way they, they kept pulling them from the matches they kept drawing them back you were like yeah they're not going to do it you know they're going to go with a different way with it but the whole thing at the end ended up bringing such a you know an emotional layer to the whole story because there was just everything they did between the between Elimination Chamber at WrestleMania they just hit right I mean you mentioned the gauntlet matches you know if there's a match WWE knows how to do well it's a gauntlet match they are so good at doing gauntlet matches mm. it's, unbe it's unbelievable and you mentioned the one that Kofi did to get in the with the chamber thing with the start with that kind of began the, the Kofi Mania run. There's the one he does to he thinks he's going to get the match, and there's the interchange, the bit with Randy Orton where he goes, "I've been here for so many years." You know, there's that emotional callback to what Andy mentioned when the two of them feuded so many years before it. Mm -hmm. But and then it gets even better on with the with Woods and Big E do the gauntlet to win him the win him it. It's just it's, you're nearly crying sitting watching SmackDown, you know, because they keep panning to the background. You know, you've got all these people watching the match. You know, you've got out all the locker rooms, your coffees. Becky Lynch, who is becoming the biggest star in wrestling, is watching this Gauntlet match backstage, and you're like, mm -hmm. "What the hell is going on?" And it's the the moment that um, uh, David Campbell mentions mentioned on the feedback, the bit with the Usos, just the way they come out and just go. Yeah, we're not going to stop you. We respect you. It's just mm. so, so good. And, you know, <laughs> even the way that they win the thing with Biggie throws the table and Rowan, it's just, it's, oh man, it's, Aye. It, it brings a tear to your eye, man. It's so, it's like, yeah. As, as Ric Flair said in the 1992 Royal Rumble, with a tear in my eye. Aye. Well, yeah. It's, <laughs> I uh, like Andy it almost sort of it almost became the New Day's battle as well, not just Kofi's battle yeah. to get to the the main event of Mania, and it was because it was Woods and Big E that were doing the tag team gauntlet, and the Usos were saying, "Look, that epic clash we had a couple of years ago, we respect you so much as competitors, we're not going to face you." Like it just goes to show like how admired not just Kofi but the whole of the New Day are yeah. as not just competitors but as people themselves. No, and again, it's that thing of uh, Usos would have been heel at this time as well. Like no one would have expected them to be like, "I'll be forfeit because of this." And again, it adds that layer to that story. And it's that thing of you can complain and you can moan about WWE not getting stuff right, but when they do it right, as uh, Steve said, it's just it's great storytelling. Like the gauntlet, it's just great storytelling. It's endurance. It's this. It's that. It's you know, you, it, it makes you want to. You, you don't want to see the person fail. And, and again, WWE can actually do that well if they want to. And if and you know, it looks with the new day. You know, again, it's that. I don't know. I don't know what else to say that's not already been said, you know. But it's mm. it is great storytelling. 
Yeah. Well, Kofi did go on to win the WWE Championship, becoming the first uh, African-born WWE Champion from mm. Ghana. And I know Kwaku will be editing this, and I'm pretty sure when we saw Kofi win the title, he was jumping out of his seat when that happened. So, yeah, it was a great moment for Kofi Mania to be capped off. But later that year, Big E and Woods went Championships at this point, uh, but it does raise a question. You know, if they were still operating under the Freebird rule, doesn't that technically make Kofi a double champion? Technically, yeah. If, if the Freebird rule was, did they mention the Freebird rule at this point? Um, maybe not then, because I think obviously Kofi being the WWE champion, I think just because all three of them were holding tag titles at this point, or just championships in general. Hmm. Yeah, they, they could have played into it a bit more, but they were they were trying to figure out how to get the best out of Kofi's run, as the issue with most big babyface champions in WWE is they kind of don't really know how to use them as a champion. Yeah, they win it. Yeah, he they, they won it, great moment, and then after that you're kind of like, oh, what did we do? The best bit was when the KO stuff and the, the KO feud in there was the best stuff. That was the best work as his champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, moving on now to the, the pandemic era, shall we say. Now, going into this, Woods was actually sidelined with a major injury. Now, I can't remember if it was the... He had a serious knee injury or it was his Achilles tendon. That, but he was out for a very, very long time. And it was mostly just Kofi and Big E keeping the team afloat for most of 2020. But then Kofi ended up getting injured after Extreme Rules following the tables match against Cesaro and Nakamura. But from a singles perspective, this, Stephen, actually opened the door for Big E's first sort of big solo run since 2014. Do you think this was uh, the first opportunity of them testing the water to see if Big E had the potential to be, you know, uh, a company front runner? I think Big E that was always the guy they had in mind to be the guy that broke out from the stable because he's everything that Vince wants in an athlete. He's big, he's muscular, he's charismatic. Big meaty man slapping beat. Yeah, he, he, he loves a bit. He loves a bit. He does big. I mean, he's, uh, he's he's still trying to get in Becky Lynch's most pants, but that's a different story. Also. Excuse me, what is this? <laughs> you not seen this? Run, Mrs. Quinn. Run. Run. He's very open on Twitter how much he loves Becky Lynch's more. It's very open. Just go- Google it. Google it. You'll know. You'll know exactly what I'm talking. But yeah, he's he's everything he wanted, and and I think you know Becky maybe got his money out of Kofi. And uh, Woods is not, he's a, obviously he's a smaller guy. We know what Vince apparently thinks of guys who are not bigger than six foot, you know, but Biggie, maybe not big tall, but he's got the full build of a like, bodybuilder look because, you know, he was a bodybuilder. Oh, weightlifter, sorry. So, yeah, it was a good chance to test the water with it. And I think at points they did well with it. You know, he looked great at certain points during that whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he had a couple of wins over Sheamus in the, the Thunderdome at one point. But yeah. Who's not got a win over Sheamus? I think Sheamus I, has lost every wrestler in WWE. Probably beat a lot of as well, in all fairness. But. Even Heath Slater. <laughs> but yeah, um, Andy, this is sort of where the New Day sort of is temporarily split up in the 2020 draft because mm. Woods had returned from injury by this point. He and Kofi captured the SmackDown tag titles, but then were immediately drafted to Raw. And then Biggie on his own was drafted to SmackDown. And I think a lot of people, including us, were complaining like this was a bad idea, like splitting the New Day up because, you know, they work better as a threesome. And, you know, they can still do their own thing and they can be on the same brand. But, um, like, in hindsight, now that how things have panned out, do you think uh, this was actually quite a, quite a fair decision? 
I, I think so. Again, it, it, they've been together for like so long, and I, I know it's like when now they've split up, it's a bit annoying. But you think once they get back together, once they're all on the same brand, you know that's gonna, you know, it, it's sort of it's gonna get people excited again rather than going stale quicker. It's sort of like, oh, let's see kind of how the story pans out with them, like not being together, because they don't want to split up, and they've basically made an effort of not being able to split up, and they, they're the longest running sort of tag team now, well, the like trio in like history, or? I think so, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you exclude like, you know, major factions like yeah. DX and uh, Four Horsemen, etc. DX didn't run consecutively for very long. Yeah, they had, they had yeah. two, two years a year, two years yeah. a year. And, and they kind of came, came back as the greatest hits DX. They want DX. They don't. They were like two years, weren't they? Uh, it's something I wanted to say Like when you were talking about their, their reign, that, the, the 400-odd reign, and it's like what made that fresh was that they turned, you know, babyface in it. And kind of although it's a bit rubbish that they're split it's kind of keeps it it'll keep, make it fresh again once they get back together so it's like in the long run the split might actually be beneficial yeah uh but i suppose biggie in his solo in his second part of his solo run he actually did achieve a lot of success you know he had his first intercontinental title since mm. uh 2014 he won the money in the bank contract he won the wwe title from bobby lashley so that's two-thirds of the new day can now say they've been WWE champion. Uh, but then also most recently, Xavier Woods went on to win the King of the Ring. And if you know from his content on Up, Up, Down, Down, and he plays Uno with uh, Tyler Breeze, Adam Cole, and Cesaro, he... Not anymore! <laughs> he, he did uh, portray a character known as Da Kang. And he has said you know he's been wanting to win king of the ring for a long time and it's good to see he's finally getting mm. his own sort of singles recognition after kofi and Big E because they were already two established single stars in their own right like steven how do you think woods's progression has developed you know from being sort of just only racking up a couple of like tag like or oh, many tag team title reigns to finally get his own singles accolade it's, it's really good to see because he's always had he's always had the potential he was he looked the business when he was in TNA. I know, I know I mentioned the TNA thing, but he looked really good at that particular point. I didn't realise he was only like twenty, twenty one at the point when he was in TNA, so he was still really young when he eventually jumped to WWE. Uh yeah, and you've seen the development of aspects of his character work as well is great. I mentioned his Wyatt the Wyatt family feud earlier on. He did some fantastic work during that particular feud, the point where he was absolutely scared shitless of them. Then when it came to the final match, trying to get over his fears, trying to go, you know, power myself up and that type of stuff, all the way to then just get knocked right down and get beat. Mm-hmm. To now be king of the ring and feuding with the biggest star of WWE and Roman Reigns and not looking out of place, I think is absolutely great. Because maybe a couple of years ago, if you stuck him with Roman Reigns, you would have thought that Roman Reigns will just chew him up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now he's presented as the equal as opposed to just like the third man. Because a lot of people eyes he was the third man because Kofi was, because obviously we mentioned Kofi had been with WWE for so many years before the UDA, he was the veteran. Big E had just fresh off of being Intercontinental Champion. People viewed him as the future, but Woods was just like, he's just here to make these, to top these guys up. Mm. You know, but eventually moved away from just being that to being so much more. And, Aye. you know, credit to him. I would love to see him 
get a, an IC title reign at some point next year. I don't think he'll beat win the world title. I think Roman will hold that for donkeys. Oh, yeah. Well, you said you said world title. I suppose that counts either way. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, but uh, I, I can see him getting some sort of title run on his own. Yep. Uh, but just for the last sort of little bit of the show, I want to talk about their overall uh pop culture impact that they've had outside of the wwe universe because over the the course of a few years they have gathered so much mainstream attention in many different ways like we've mentioned a couple of times woods runs the the up up down down channel with him being a massive gaming fan and even kofi and biggie join him as guest participants on regular regular shows they have the the, the feel the power podcast which has been out for a couple of years now and they also, you know, in essence to sort of what they were planning with their earlier gimmick, uh, Andy, they they also they obviously want to be very positive role models, particularly for for African American people, and, yeah. and they want to be carrying that message of positivity, particularly to young young Black Americans too. Uh, how well do you think they've done, considering how much impact they've had since? Uh, almost not even getting their feet off the ground. I think they've done amazingly. I, I think they've done really well. And again, it's it's good that that sort of the gospel gimmick only lasted a few months, and then you know the power of positivity just became them. And 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 again, like you look back and they've won all. You know they've won how many titles in total? Was it fourteen? Not twelve. Uh, Kofi Kofi's won fourteen as a group. They've won eleven. Yeah, and uh, you know that's great in itself, and obviously all the sort of the wrestler of the year, team of the year, and it's great. I was actually watching a video, and it was like saying like how again they've done that thing with they've transcended WWE and becoming mainstream, where someone was saying to a friend, like, "Oh, are you like wrestling? Do you know who? Do you know Austin Creed is a wrestler?" It's like, "Yeah, he's Xavier Woods. Like, like, Hmm. like, like people know him. A lot of people know him as his gaming character than they do." Uh, like he's he's WWE one, and then I was watching on about how it was like him against the Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, but that was just a yeah, you know, that, was a, pro- a promo for G three, yeah, and it was just a video game competition. That's like again they can do that stuff, and and it adds to that popularity. And again, it's if you're a young anybody like black white you know it's it's great to see people take something that was a bit of a rubbish gimmick and make it work and become really successful from for from doing it i think it helps that they are three genuinely likable human beings i think is well to say i think especially the way earlier this year that they handled themselves publicly in the light of uh, brody lee's death as well Mm. Obviously, they were very close with him, and the mm. way they kind of went about it, the way they kind of honoured him, Xavier Woods, especially some of the stuff Xavier Woods was doing. You know, he obviously ran the they ran the podcast. He had uh, his gear tributed to him. You know, just things like that. Uh, you mentioned the Black Lace ones stuff, David. They were one of the first uh, people in WWE to take the knee in the middle of the ring. That's right. Yep. Which at the time was a major thing. Yeah, no, this was after this was after George Floyd's death, and that, that was basically the straw that broke the camel's back when it came to <laughs> racial injustice. Yeah, it was a big thing in a company like WWE who haven't had the best history of uh, portraying people of colour in the past. Mm-hmm. So for them to just do that, you know, just mm. I don't know how if that was prompted or not to do it. Fair play to them, and I think the fact that they are 
think I think as a fan you genuinely radiate to somebody who you think is a nice guy. I mean, there's various wrestlers that you see that you just think, yeah, you're an arsehole and I don't really want to support you. <coughs> Jackson Riker. Uh, so, <laughs> aye, so, but yeah, credit to them. You know, they, they, uh-huh. they could retire today, and Woods especially, and have a great career or whatever. The gaming mm-hmm. stuff is brilliant as well. Mm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not very good at games. Dave, you see me play games. I'm not brilliant. I've seen you. I've seen you play Rocket League and your performance is mixed at best. Hey, Rocket League is a hard game. I'll give him that, you know. <laughs> Dave's a ball chaser, uh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Not in that sense. Shut your face. Do you have any stuff for a ball chaser? Oh, for God's sake. But um, one last question before we sign off for today. Um, multiple outlets, including, you know, some UK and US-based ones, have described the New Day as arguably the greatest tag team slash stable of all time across the wrestling business, not just WWE. So just to round things off, I just want a couple of sentences from each of you about what is it about the New Day that truly exemplifies them as the greatest of all time? I think it's like, it's the fact that it's the longevity, they haven't gone stale, you know, people are still into them. You know, that's kind of what works, you know. And, and again, there's always that feeling of... And it happened with The Shield, where it was like, you're just waiting for them to split up so they could all become great single people. But with New Day, you don't need that. You kind of want them to be together. And it proves that uh, Xavier Woods is great in threesomes. <sighs> you just had to guess that that ended, yeah. <laughs> you could edit that out, that last one. <laughs> uh, Stevie, what do you think? Yeah, I think one of the things is their ability to adapt, I think, which which makes them really good if you look at a lot of the other great stables in time. DX, NWO, you know, the likes of them, The Shield. They maybe don't have, they're a bit more one-dimensional, I think, in terms of the way they are great, brilliant, everybody loves them, but, you know, they are like, you know, you know, a, a modern day mean street posse. The ability to show every sort of angle. A joke. A joke. I just wanted to talk about the posse. What the hell? <laughs> Joey Abs. <laughs> I just don't say Joey Abs. But no, in all seriousness, just how well they can just change with the times, the flexibility. They can do it on the mic and in the ring, which is a great combination, I think, as well. And you know, longevity, as Andy said, you know. Mm-hmm. We're talking now, you know seven years have been as a stable in some sort of way you know obviously they're not fully together but you know seven years is mental you know mm-hmm. WWE break up stables in seven weeks let alone mm-hmm. seven years yeah. Aye. they broke up the hot business in about seven weeks so and they've uh, quietly reformed them without anybody realising and but... quietly split them apart <laughs> <laughs> but you um, you actually made a good point you know even though the New Day have been split apart people, I think it's the crowd that definitely keeps them alive like even when Big E's doing singles matches high profile and he gets the momentum going people are still doing the New Day rocks chants because that's what they associate him with and that's the power of positivity and I think that's what transitions over from them to the crowd the, the, the audience has finally embraced the power of positivity and they all love the new day you know it doesn't matter if you, you don't need to be a diehard wrestling fan to know who these guys are that they've, they've made that much of a cultural impact both across the wrestling business uh talk shows podcasting video games you name it they've done it and they're immensely popular with any people from any age and that's why i think they would go down not just as a great wrestling tag team but just arguably the best group of guys 
that WWE mm. could have could have ever produced. But um, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today on this week's feature show. I wish we could talk more about the New Day, but they're so there's they're on so many different outlets themselves. You can check the the Feel the Power podcast uh, on your preferred platform, as well as Eat Sleep Suplex retweet on the podcast platform of your choice i like podbean in particular so make sure you check us there and be sure to follow us on socials on twitter at suplex retweet be sure to get involved with the community page and don't forget to check out all our content on our youtube channel where we have the book it tournament quiz showdown and the aforementioned conspiracy theory where two new episodes of each have recently come out so make sure you check those out so on behalf of my panel today i want to thank andy mitchell it's always a pleasure. It's always great to see you, Dave. And thanks, Stephen Wilson. Yes, thank you very much, Dave. It's good to be on. Yep. And I've been David Hockney. This has been our New Day feature show. And don't forget to continue clapping. Feel the power of positivity because... New Day rocks. Ooh. New Day rocks. Ooh. Let's go slap some meat. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Supplex Retreat East Meets West where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat.